You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. Today on the show, we're chatting with Ned Fulmer. Ned is one member of the Try Guys, an online video comedy series, which he originally created with three other coworkers while working at BuzzFeed. Now the Try Guys are independent and their YouTube channel has over 7.3 million subscribers with their videos garnering billions of views, making them one of the most successful channels in YouTube history. The quartet hosted YouTube's eighth annual Streamy Awards in 2018, and they won the Audience Choice Show of the Year Award in 2017. The Try Guys recently put out their first book together called The Hidden Power of Effing Up. And if that wasn't enough, the Try Guys also host their own podcast called Tripod. And last but not least, Ned is gearing up to launch a new podcast with his wife called Baby Steps. In this episode, we'll learn why the only way to succeed is to commit to failing over and over again, and we'll get Ned's top tips for going viral on YouTube. Hey, Ned, welcome to Young and Profiting Podcast. Thanks for having me. We're so looking forward to this interview. You are such a star. You have an amazing background story. You're really living every millennial's dream. To introduce you to my listeners, you're a YouTube star. You are one of the four members of the Try Guys. And in fact, according to the internet, you are the most popular Try Guys. So we're really excited about that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, wow, I'm honored. Yeah, that's what the internet says. And um, <laughs> your YouTube channel has over 7 million subscribers. You guys have over 2 billion total downloads, which is incredible. You know, we've had huge YouTube stars like Evan Carmichael on the show, but you guys are actually like three times as popular as him. So just amazing in terms of your reach and all the success you've had on YouTube. You and your Try Guys have also written a book and it's rose to the number one New York Times bestselling list, The Hidden Power of Effing Up. And you also used to work at BuzzFeed, which is really interesting. But now you guys have one off to create your own independent company. But before we get into Try Guys, how you start started on YouTube, some of your YouTube tips. I'd like to get an understanding of your career background. Does that sound okay? Sure. Okay. So we have something in common. We both got our undergrad in chemistry. I actually switched my major, um, but I found out that you got your undergrad in chemistry and you actually started your career off as a chemist and used to do comedy at night. And so tell us like, why did you choose chemistry? Was your family really like pressured you into getting some sort of traditional job? Were you afraid of kind of taking the risk of being a comedian? Like what was that all about? Well, I was always really passionate about it. I've always felt like I'm both an artist and a scientist and chemistry was that mix of math and an understanding of the way the world and how the world changes uh, and also there's like sort of like you get to light things on fire. So being a closet pyromaniac, that was very exciting to be in labs. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, in terms of why I chose to major in chemistry, it was it was because I liked it. But it, I was, you know, I'm not going to kid you. I mean, I, I'll be honest that having the idea of a backup plan for an entertainment career was certainly in my mind. I figured that I could do a comedy with a chemistry degree, but I couldn't necessarily do chemistry with a comedy or a theater degree. True. And, and that, that proved to be true. That proved to be true for sure. <laughs> I don't know that I uh, would have gotten a day job at these labs if they are like, so you uh, studied, you have a theater studies major, but you say <laughs> you're, you're very good at chemistry. <laughs> I don't believe you. Yeah, and I think it's really important for people to have a backup plan and to have skills that they can always kind of fall back on. If, if 
for some reason, Try Guys went away today or, or all these different endeavors that you did went away today, you could always get a chemistry job, which is really important to, to have that security. That's true. And when I was doing a ton of unpaid comedy shows in Chicago, that security blanket and having a job to do during the day was, was helpful. I definitely remember a couple of times at my job, though, I would be running an experiment in the background and working on writing some sketches. And I remember printing out like a 50-page script for a show that we were doing. And my boss at the chemistry lab walks over and sees it in the printer and he's like, hmm, what's, what's this? I'm like, oh, I'm I just, <laughs> you know, just, just printing something that I need. <laughs> <laughs> I can totally relate. I work at Disney streaming services full time and I run this like pretty big podcast on the side and I always take my interviews during lunch. And so I'm running around and people are seeing me like in a little phone booth, like with all my equipment and camera and everything like that. And they're probably like, what is this girl yep. doing? <laughs> Although cat's out of the bag at this point. But cool, really cool stuff. So then tell me, how did you end up getting a job at BuzzFeed? Because I think you started BuzzFeed in like 2013. Mm -hmm. How did you have the experience in order to land that job at BuzzFeed? Like, what was that transition like? And how did you get that job? I'm honestly not sure. My interview lasted like 13 minutes. I thought I bombed it. They just sort of asked me if I knew how to use a camera and to run sound equipment. And I said, yes, even though I hadn't gone to film school, you know, I sort of knew how to do it. I mean, I had done a lot of like independent shorts and YouTube shorts. So I think people that were interviewing liked that. And I had also had like a fair amount of unpaid work experience in Chicago. So I definitely, I, I was, you know, 25, 26 at that time and had several years of experience, even though I hadn't really had a, a job in the field before. And I just, I applied because it was in my neighborhood, actually. I, I wanted to get some, <laughs> some film production skills. And I was, I didn't really like the freelancing lifestyle of being by yourself all the time. And I wanted to kind of have a, a group environment so I could learn and make more connections because moving out to LA and making a lot of connections was important. Yeah. So that's really why I did it. I thought it was going to be a three month thing where I'd learn some physical production skills and make some connections and then go back to writing spec scripts and trying to work my way into TV writing career. But I, I had some good advice from a mentor who was a TV writer and he said, you know, don't bother trying to get one of these assistant jobs where you're like getting coffee for an experienced TV writer and doing that because you could do that for two or three years. But he says this the new media and digital media is something that everyone working in TV is really curious slash afraid slash interested in. So try and get a ground floor job and something in new media. And that proved to be very good advice because here I am. I started as an intern in 2013 when there's only about 20 people in the company. Fast forward to years later where it's, you know, hundreds of people and millions of subscribers and fans and I've, I've learned a ton about how things go viral and how people share and distribute and make content on the internet so it's just a, a really great educational experience more, far more than I could have ever dreamed like the film school I never had yeah, that's amazing. It's it, getting hands-on experience is so key and I love that you started as an intern. I think a lot of people don't realize that if you want to get into another industry, one of the best ways to do it is to actually get an internship because you're not required to have like formal experience. You just kind of need to have the interest and the passion and the, the the attitude and the willingness to learn. And usually people will give you a chance. And so it's a great way to pivot and kind of prove yourself and then work your way up. That's what I did. I used to be in entertainment and was an entrepreneur right out of college. I used to have a website. And then I got an MBA internship to work at Hewlett Packard as a marketer. And so that's how I kind of started my marketing career. So I, I encourage everyone to get an internship if you have the bandwidth and you're in school. So let's talk about how you guys started Try Guys. I think you started it in 2014 around you guys were all guys who worked at BuzzFeed. So tell me about that story. How did um, you guys end up forming this group? It was in the early days of Facebook video. If you can imagine, Facebook didn't even have video at that point, And they were starting this whole new uh, video publishing platform. And so Zach and Keith were 
part of a group that was trying to understand how people shared things on Facebook and what would really go viral on Facebook specifically. And the idea of guys trying things within the female scope of an experience was something that was really relatable to a lot of women and was getting shared widely. And so we started thinking of ideas in that vein. And there's not like a formal casting process or a formal branding process. We just sort of did it because we were friends and also we were the only people that were willing to wear Victoria's Secret thongs on camera (laughs) as guys, probably as girls too. But the decision to call it Try Guys was just sort of, we do everything as a test and then see if it works. And if it people like it, we'll do more of it. But there was no top-down, you guys are going to be the Try Guys now. If anything, we kept having minor disagreements with our management because having four people work on one project was counter to the uh, ethos mm. of BuzzFeed at the time where each person would make like six projects. Here we are, four people working on one big project. Yeah, that's so interesting. So it kind of just like all happened by accident. It was just whoever was willing to show their their butts because I think your your first video is like wearing women's underwear or wearing women's yeah. thongs or something like that. Right, That's right. so funny. And so you didn't really get to choose your business partners. Most people get to really like, it's either their best friend from college and they start a startup together or, you know, they have people apply to be their business partner or to join their company. You kind of just inherited your business partners. So what's that like? Do you guys butt heads a lot? Do you guys get along? How do you split up the work? And does everybody have their unique role? Or is it kind of all just, do you guys just work on everything? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And so we have developed a very collaborative and fluid way of working with each other over now almost six years. And even though we kind of fell into it in the beginning. The decision to leave BuzzFeed and form an independent company was very much something where, you know, everyone had to be very on board with and to work very hard at making that happen. So even though we may not have chosen in the beginning, we have all like recommitted ourselves to this new journey that we're on. But we, in terms of dividing up responsibilities, we each can, kind of the beauty is we can all do a lot of things, but We kind of also tend to gravitate towards things that we prefer. Each project will have one of the four of us as a creative lead overseeing it, almost like a director and kind of guiding all of the elements and leading the staff towards that goal. Um, And then more generally, we each do different facets of the business. I know Keith runs our Patreon and Zach worked on our kind of organizing book very heavily. Uh, Eugene works on a lot of our external um, pitches and kind of forays into the TV space. I kind of handle the managerial personnel and leading our team, the financial aspects of things. So kind of we, we all do different things, but as creatives, we all love to shoot, we all love to edit, and we all love to yeah. tell stories. And even though we do that in different ways, I think that those differences make us a stronger unit. Yeah, definitely. I love how you guys all kind of came from the same schooling with BuzzFeed. And so you you probably share a lot of philosophies and all know how to do a lot of cool things in terms of video editing and and how to go viral and all those types of things. So that's very cool. So you guys ended up leaving BuzzFeed. You went independent in 2018. Does BuzzFeed own a part of Try Guys? Like what was that process like actually taking something that you created at a corporate company and then going independent, what was that like? Yeah, it was, you know, it was a difficult uh, negotiation and conversation, but it, ultimately it's a, a win-win, right? We, although we have the ability to create a whole new brand and make it popular through our personalities, it would be nice to still be called the Try Guys and have all the IP of our previous work. And similarly, even though BuzzFeed would have, they don't anymore, but they would have had the ability to recast the try guys and try and create a new cast dynamic that would have been pretty difficult for them you know so i think ultimately it was something that you know made a ton of sense and we were able to purchase it outright and now we 
own it and control it completely. And we're very proud of that fact and have really feel like now for our fans, we can have that brand continuity that they feel like they're watching the same show and the same cast now in its yeah. kind of 2.0 iteration. I'm always kind of curious what things would have looked like if we try and like come up with completely new branding, but all of our different ideas of what to call the show were, they had varying levels of success. <laughs> <laughs> what was like, what was one of the top contenders? Oh gosh, there were so many silly ones. We at first, we were like, yeah, we'll call ourselves like K-N-Z-E like ACDC or some sort of like cool four letter <laughs> like rock band, which is just the four of our names. And it like, it won't mean anything, but it'll also mean anything. You know, maybe that's <laughs> Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now. And I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn, because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with, to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They are in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You want to get them in the right mindset. You want to cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that they can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who want to try LinkedIn ads. You can get a $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Young and profiters, Yap Media is growing so fast. I have 10 open roles just this month. In the past, it would take me so long to find hires. I have to go on all these different job sites. I have to create my own skills assessments. That's why I let Indeed do a lot of this heavy lifting for me. Indeed is the powerful hiring platform where I can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed has things like skills assessments, where when we have specific roles, we can find an assessment that matches that role and we can make sure they have the skills that we need. Then I can focus on culture fit. I can make sure they're scrappy enough and are obsessed with excellence and do all the things that we need to do for them to fit in at YAP. And Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools like Instant Match. An Instant Match basically matches you with candidates as soon as you put up a job post with people who are qualified right away. It's instant. And the best part is it gets better as you use it. So now when I use Indeed, especially when I'm hiring for similar roles, I get people right away where they know that I'm going to like the candidates because they can see what my preferences were in the past. It gets better as you use it. According to US Indeed data, the moment Indeed sponsors a job, over 80% of employers get candidates whose resumes are a perfect match for the position. It's like waving a magic wand that gets better as you use it. So I love using Indeed. We've found a lot of our A players on there. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide who count on Indeed to hire their next superstar like we do at Yap Media. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash profiting. Offer is good for a limited time. Claim your $75 sponsored job credit at indeed.com slash profiting. Again, that's indeed.com slash profiting and support the show by saying you heard about it on Young and Profiting Podcast. Again, it's indeed.com slash profiting to get your $75 credit. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Young and profiters, I'm about to be jet-setting all over the world. I'm going to London, Cancun, New Orleans, and New York to speak. I'm going to be up there with the bright lights, and I want to be spiffy. I want to look fresh. And so I'm going on a big shopping spree. I got to get clothes. I got to get hair stuff, skincare stuff, makeup. 
But I'm not going to feel guilty about this shopping spree because Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Rakuten is the shopping platform for savvy savers. From May 6th to May 13th, they're having their biggest cashback event of the year. I'm talking about 15% cashback at hundreds of stores with additional cashback bonuses. And they've got so many stores participating in their Big Give Week. So when it comes to clothes, I'm looking at Splendid and Good American. And when it comes to beauty, they've got so many good stores participating. They've got Ulta, Fenty, Bobby Brown, Blue Mercury, and all the products that we love. Now we can get cash back. It's like getting a discount on the stuff you're going to buy anyway. It's absolutely amazing. They even have travel brands. So that's going to be super convenient for me with all my upcoming trips. Expedia, Hotels.com. You can get deals on everything from electronics to home goods to travel and beauty. Young and profiters, you're going to want to grab this limited time deal with both hands. You get high cashback rates for only eight days. So hurry. Membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of the 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app at R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Yeah, I think everybody's so familiar with the Try Guys. It would have been so hard, I think, to like recreate that brand from scratch. So good for you guys that you actually bought that out from BuzzFeed. Why did you guys decide you needed to go independent? Like what was the decision-making factor in terms of deciding to leave BuzzFeed? It really came down to autonomy and ownership. You know, we wanted to have the autonomy to able fully do the projects we wanted to and invest in the things that we wanted to without having to have a conversation with management. And then we, uh, we wanted the, the ownership over, you know, our own work. I mean, there's, I think there's only, once you, your career has grown to a certain point, there's maybe so much you can get as a employee. Yes, totally. And so having the ability to really kind of build something ourselves that, Uh, we had ownership and autonomy over was the biggest thing. Yeah. So tell us about your business model. Like how do you guys like monetize, try guys, and how big do you think you can scale this company to? Well, we know that from the number of unique viewers we have about every 90 days, there's 25 million people out there who are tapped in. So that's one goal is to take our subscribers from 7 million to 25 million. But of course Mm. there's, outside of that number, there's growing in new areas and reaching even more people. So we have some shows that are targeted to grow into new audiences. Our four verse one series is a great example of that. We played four simultaneous games against a blindfolded chess master, and we all teamed together to try and take down a poker pro. Uh, I think like chess and poker would be not things that you might typically expect from what we're known as guys trying lady things like acrylic nails or high (laughs) heels, which are some of our most popular videos. So those are efforts to expand into new audiences. Our business model generally is to to develop brands and then to reach the audience in a bunch of diversified ways. So if you think of the Try Guys as a core brand, we can connect with our audience through YouTube videos, but we can also connect with them through our book, we went on a 27-city international live tour last summer. So that was a live component of podcasting, of course. So there's a bunch of different ways that we can reach people and entertain them and move them. Those are all various aspects of our business. And then from there, we want to use the Try Guys as not just a, a brand of a, a core cast of four people, but as a, an umbrella of a different brand. So I think that you can sit with us podcast that Ariel and the other ladies launched as part of that. Also, Ariel and I are launching, this is, this is a, a YAP exclusive, but we're launching a <laughs> parenting podcast called Baby Steps. Uh, that will come and Ariel's his wife, by the 6th. way. Yeah, Ariel's my wife, yes. Yeah, so this kind of a, a developing of, new brands, and then also distributing various businesses around them is kind of our main 
approach. Yeah, I had no idea that your wife's podcast, and I think it's with the other Try Guy wives or, or girlfriends, I'm not sure. I didn't realize I was under your brand. And my next question was going to be, are you guys just focused on your brand, your Try Guys, or are you going to kind of branch out and try new ideas? So that's really cool. Tell us about podcasting. Why did you guys start to get into the podcasting space? What interested you there? And then why this new Baby Steps podcast? Like, what are you trying to teach the world with that new show? Well, with Baby Steps, we are living in a totally different world now. With coronavirus, a lot of parents are on the hook for baby care 24-7 and not having the ability to go to a museum or out and about to help with that responsibility. And so we, we see there's a need to have entertainment and advice and kind of a comedy mixed with information out there. And we also see it as a way of, you know, the first time we had our child, there was so much that we didn't get to say so many stories we didn't get to tell. And we don't necessarily aspire to be uh, daily vloggers or that sort of like parenting YouTube videos, but having a weekly podcast where we can tell stories and also come up with things like uh, react to expert advice and trending product reviews. We reviewed something called the, the Frida Balls, which is a underwear for dads with a protective cup that you know, prevents from <laughs> baby kicks and glancing blows. Just funny <laughs> stuff like that. But it's a parenting podcast for not-so-perfect parents because we make it look cute on Instagram, but uh, the reality is it is far more messy. So it's kind of an inside look at what it's like to be pregnant and raising a toddler during a pandemic. Yeah, I love that. I think that's such a great idea for for a show. So that comes out, you said, September 6th? September 6th, yeah, Sundays. Okay, awesome. So that's great. We'll definitely put the link in our show notes. Uh, When the show comes out, it'll probably align right with your launch. So that will be awesome. Um, You're probably also excited to like, do a creative project with your wife. Like what a great way to kind of like spend more time together and, and like build new memories and bond, honestly. Like that sounds like such a... It's uh, so awesome because, you know, we just kind of get to chat for an hour, talk about funny stories and things that happened. And yeah, and all the development work, you know, the photo shoots and coming up with all the branding. That's been really fun to do with uh, her as well. We now, we have a... Uh, we took such a cute photo of our son, Wes, with podcasting earphones and a microphone. He's just like kind of has a mischievous smile as he's standing on a chair. So cute that our <laughs> photographer gave us a like a full, you know, giant like printout of it. That's, now we're going to hang Aww. in the new podcasting studio. You and your wife seem like you have such a great relationship and it's kind of like an internet joke how much you talk about your wife. Um, you always bring her up in conversations and things like that. So tell us, like, what's your number one secret to a great relationship? Oh, gosh. What's my number one secret to a great relationship? I mean, I think, you know, I talk about her a lot because she's really awesome. That that kind of uh, <laughs> mutual mutual admiration and respect uh, as well as yeah. communication, I think is is really important. You know, even when you're having disagreements, as long as you can approach the conversation from a place of empathy and respect and uh, a willingness to figure things out and to work towards common goals. If you have the understanding that as long as you work at things, there's nothing you can't overcome. I think that that is a, a small perspective change, but it makes a huge difference in terms of overcoming any obstacle. Yeah. And it probably helps that you guys have very similar ambitions. I mean, I think she's an interior designer, but she also is like into podcasting and kind of very supportive with you, interested in being like part of your overall brand. And so I'm sure that helps. My boyfriend's like a famous music producer and it helps me because he understands when I have to do all these interviews and and like kind of always working. It helps when when you have like two ambitious people who who kind of like come together and try to yeah, make it happen absolutely. together. Absolutely. So let's go back to Try Guys. Some of your video topics, a lot of people might think that they're really clickbaity, you know, like they're, they're very shocking. They kind of have that shock value. But you say that it really it's, it's not about being clickbaity or having shallow topics. You really try to have a message behind every 
video topic that you have. So tell us about some of the key things that you've learned or some of the key messages that your show tries to bring about to your viewers. Sure. Well, we try to encourage people to try new things. We want to show that the world is not such a big place, that it's rather small and we should celebrate our differences rather than let them be things that we push ourselves away from. We want to encourage people to connect with their loved ones and their friends and family, share things that make them happy. And in terms of clickbait, I mean, we try and have engaging and exciting topics that people care about. You know, it's not it's not clickbait mm-hmm. if you deliver on the premise, right? <laughs> I know there true, are some times that people are like, whoa, I thought that this was, I, I did a, like a fitness transformation where I got a six pack in six weeks and people are like, whoa, I thought it was a, a Photoshop, like a prank, like you're, I thought it was clickbait, <laughs> but you know, it was really a kind of a, an emotional journey and coming from a place of like male vulnerability and exploring that. Uh, so everything that we do, we try and try and deliver on, on the clickbait, you know? Yeah. Do you ever wonder, like, this is like an impromptu question. So like you guys are all, I think you have like one Asian member in the group. You have three white guys. One of them is openly gay, right? Um, do you ever feel like you need like one more try guy, like to like diversify it a bit, maybe a minority or something? <laughs> yeah, we have certainly, uh, so adding new cast members and kind of new talent to the Try Guys universe is something we're actively pursuing. We have uh, some, in addition to the thing with our wives, which doesn't really count, uh, some of our staffers, YB and Alexandria, wanted to come up with a mukbang show where they're eating a lot of food. So that's been something we've been, <laughs> been investing in, uh, as well as uh, cool. some, some external talent uh, with some new shows that are coming out soon. But yeah, I, I think that while it may be, I don't know, that's a, something that we don't have any plans for now to change what the, the core quartet cast means, yeah. kind of adding new people to the umbrella of the Try Guys universe is definitely something that we're actively working on. That's awesome. So let's talk about your book. You you guys have a New York Times bestseller. It's called The Hidden Power of and Up. What would you say was your biggest F up and how did you overcome it? In writing the book or just in life? In life. In life. Oh, man. Gosh, that it is... It can be anything. That is a hard question. My biggest F up in life. Honestly, I, I uh, one thing that really shifted uh, my fate was I got a really bad knee injury when I was working in Chicago in 2013. And that's what, like, I, I effed up. I was running way too fast and, like, letting myself go out of control and tripped and fell and kind of it had a really bad injury. I had to quit all of my shows, go off, oh, wow. you know, like, on a disability leave from work for a time because the lab, of course, like, required you to be able to lift 40 pounds to work there, uh, <laughs> interestingly enough. Uh, but that was a moment where it really... I was very stable working a day job at a chem lab and doing these fun shows at night that taking a risk and moving to Los Angeles or New York, whatever, you know, a larger market for me, LA was where I wanted to go. That that's a very scary and difficult decision. Yeah. And when you have the stasis of two improv groups you're in and the, when the sketch show that's coming up and then you still have your job, it's like, it's, it's very hard to just, disrupt all of that and say, you know, I'm going to move to LA with my dreams and a cardigan. Uh, Having that break in my life kind of forced me to reassess things and realize that that wasn't, wasn't getting younger. And if I just kept here doing the same thing, I probably, even though SNL auditions came by every year and you're, you're always excited for that showcase and working on your material the other 364 days of the year. You know, that's, that's a very long shot and really one of the few things that is open to performers in Chicago. So essentially that injury led you to making that move and making that transition. Is that what you're saying? Like that's, that's kind of why you ended up in LA. Yeah, I think absolutely. It certainly accelerated that 
timeline and probably it maybe moving to LA, even though it's something I always wanted to do, maybe it's something that if I hadn't had that break in my life, didn't do. And that idea totally. of taking a bold risk on yourself, I think is something that echoes in a lot of different facets of business. You know, I think that if you have the ability to to bet on yourself and to take a bold risk and to do something that other people maybe are afraid to do, that can make all the difference. Totally. And when you're so comfortable and you have a cushy job, it's so hard to take that leap, to take that jump because you feel like you have so much to lose. But when you already have something that's gone, it's kind of more easy to to make that change and to take on that risk because you don't have as much to lose. So I definitely can relate there. So Moving on to another topic in your book, you guys have a really cute philosophy on, you call it philosophy, <laughs> on mm-hmm. ways to tackle life in its wonderful, terrible, uncertain glory. <laughs> so can you tell us about this philosophy and how we can succeed by failing over and over again? Yeah, I think it's kind of related to what we're talking about with risk-taking. I mean, there are so many ways that we let the fear of failure or the fear of effing up paralyze us into inaction or indecision. But the reality is life is full of mistakes and mess ups. And here I can like, with the benefit of hindsight, chart some like perfect like course of my career where A led to B and, you know, all the connections seem like, wow, oh, how perfect that he was working at BuzzFeed in 2013. But like the reality is like, there were so many moves that I made that didn't really pan out or were like were dead ends. Like there's there's gonna be so many mistakes that you make in your life and that's not ever gonna be a one way street or a a ladder straight to success, even when you're in kind of those regimented like a med school program or, you know, a, a PhD program, even even though those seven years might still regimented after that you know there's there's still there's going to be like a zigzagging spider web of career choices and decisions and things that you do and what I found is that being afraid of messing up is going to severely limit the experiences that you have and the completely the types of things that you can do yeah. And so from my understanding, this YouTube series with the Trigas, that wasn't your first YouTube show. How many shows have you had before the Try Guys? Oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, in Chicago, it was we would have a different show, a different live show every couple of months. And then in terms of making, making YouTube videos, I... I, I made a, a, a sitcom in college because I was very into sitcoms. And I remember I had a moment where when we published it online, it suddenly got thousands of views. And we were like, whoa, but there's <laughs> not even a thousand people in my school. You know, it's like the, <laughs> that, that thing, like I was only ever doing live performances and like, you know, 200 people would be like, wow, there's so many people here. But the mm-hmm. uh, realization that, like publishing even sort of a not so great project that I did in school that was just because we published it online and in segments suddenly got like a order of magnitude more views than I had ever gotten by doing live shows. That was kind of a, an early appreciation, you know, back in 2008 or 2007 that, Oh wow, maybe this like digital media is, is a thing. Yeah, and a lot of people, like, they may look at you guys and think, like, oh, what an overnight success. But you were working on your craft and, and experimenting with things from 2008. And it reminds me, like, Yap for me is my sixth show. I was in radio. I used to work at Hot 97. I used to have online radio shows. I used to be more focused on music and hip-hop. And I evolved. But Yap is my most successful show. Imagine if two years ago I said, I'd, oh, I'm done with broadcasting. I don't want to yeah. give it a try again. I would never be talking to world-famous YouTubers and Robert Greene and Mark Manson and huge people, you know? So I would say don't be afraid to practice, to try, to start something, to fail, to stop it, to evolve, to try a new show. Like that's how you succeed. It's it's really just trying and trying until, until you succeed. I completely agree because every, every try that you do, everything that you attempt, 
you gain experience from it. You yeah. gain a better understanding of your own skills and like you're you're not going to just be successful right off the bat. That's a great piece of advice that I've heard for for film writers. There's this paradigm of the young film writer that just rewrites their same opus movie 10 times. Well, what if they spent that time writing 10 different movies and all of them yeah. are not great, but maybe the 10th one is a little bit better or maybe one out of them is good. And I think that for uh, anyone just starting out, like especially if you're interested in media, the barrier to entry is so much lower. You know, you, totally. can, you can just be filming things on your cell phone and trying out different things. And the, kind of the nice thing about digital media is it's not like some big like, oh, I, I have to send my perfect spec script to an agent. It's like, you can just start publishing things. If people don't like it, nobody will see it. So who cares? And exactly. then the things that people do like will put you on the map. And then an agent, to the extent that you need one, will be coming to knock on your door. Exactly. I know. People just need to like not be afraid to try and also not stick to the same thing for too long. I see a lot of podcasters especially. They have a show that like never takes off and they do it for like five years and it's like, okay, your show is not working, right? You need to either change your marketing, you need to change your branding, you need to change your angle, you need to change your frequency, you need to change your format. Like something needs to change. You can't just keep doing the same thing and then expecting that someday you're going to blow up. If it doesn't get traction in like a year or two, you probably need to like start something new and not be afraid to stop it and start something new, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great point. I've never thought of it like that. Podcasters need to be thinking about their podcasts like TikToks. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get into some YouTube tips. So we love actionable advice at Young and Profiting Podcasts. That's like my main thing that I always give people practical advice that they can use. And so um, like we said, your channel has over 2 billion views, 7 million subscribers. You guys are huge YouTube stars. So you have a wealth of information. You guys released this blog on Patreon last year that was called The 10 Tips to Grow Viral with Try Guys. I don't expect you to have memorized that blog post, but what I'm going to do is do like a rapid fire segment where I will list off one of the tips. I'll do, I know we won't get through all 10, maybe like three or four of them. And maybe you can elaborate. Let me know if you have any examples with what you've done with Try Guys specifically and just help people learn a little bit more about that tip. Does that sound good to you? Rapid fire. Let's do this. 10 out of 10, baby. Let's go. Okay, let's see if we could get all 10. Tip number one, connect with people's passions and identities. Yeah, people like to share things that say things about themselves. So if you can make something that uh, connects with what someone really, really likes, it's much more likely that they'll be like inspired by the content and want to share it to their friends. Young and profiters, as you may know, I launched my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass a little bit over a year ago. It was my first course. And so far, I've generated well over $500,000. And the best part is, I didn't have to figure out how to set up my mastermind subscriptions, how to do abandoned cart targeting, and all of that tech geeky stuff. I just left that all to Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And if you're in that I need to sell more with less stage, Shopify magic is your AI superpowered sidekick ready to whip up captivating content that converts. And it doesn't matter if you're selling digital products or vegan cosmetics. Shopify helps you sell anything anywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Stop those online window shoppers in their tracks and turn them into loyal customers with the internet's best converting checkout. I'm talking 36% better on average compared to the other options out there. It's no wonder Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, including huge global brands like Allbirds and Thrive Cosmetics. It took me a day to set up my Shopify store. I set up chat, took two minutes, and I was done. One month from thinking of the idea to implementation, a year later, I've made half a million dollars on the idea. That's what it takes in 2024, just a good idea. And then utilizing a platform like Shopify that can help you make it a reality. There is no excuse these days. If you've got a good business idea and you think you'll be a good entrepreneur, you don't have to wait any longer. You don't have to be super techie. 
and you never have to worry about figuring it out on your own. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash profiting. Young and profiters, we are all making money. But is your money hustling for you? Meaning, are you investing? Putting your savings in the bank is just doing you a total disservice. You got to beat inflation. I've been investing heavily for years. I've got an E-Trade account. I've got a Robinhood account. And it used to be such a pain to manage all of my accounts. I'd hop from platform to platform. I'd always forget my Fidelity password. And then I have to reset my password. I knew that needed to change because I need to keep track of all my stuff. Everything got better once I started using Yahoo Finance, the sponsor of today's episode. You can securely link up all of your investment accounts in Yahoo Finance for one unified view of your wealth. They've got stock analyst ratings. They have independent research. I can customize charts and choose what metrics I want to display for all my stocks so I can make the best decisions. I can even dig into financial statements and balance sheets of the companies that I'm curious about. Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. So like go narrow. That's, I think that's the tip there. Yeah. Tip number two. Like we did a video about, you know, anime cosplay where we went to the anime expo. I had not really (laughs) heard of that before, but then at this anime expo, there's Hundreds and hundreds of people all dressed in esoteric costumes from from animes and mangas that I have not really known. And that was a really big, specific audience that then had that video get a lot of views. Yeah, and they got exposure. And that's the, the thing about YouTube is that it's kind of like every video kind of operates as its own thing, you know, and you can get new fans from that video being focused on anime, but then they can go see your whole channel and maybe watch more videos. So tip number two. We're totally failing at this rapid fire. I'm, I'm going to so deep, even on number one. <laughs> it's okay. Make sure your videos accomplish one of these three things. Make your audience feel something, connects them with someone or something, or informs them of information. Yeah, yeah, what what we said. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, you want to you want to make your audience feel things, right? Like you you want to make them learn something or you want to make them feel laugh or or cry or feel joy. That's something that I think effective content in all different mediums does. Totally. I totally agree. I think that's great advice. Tip number 3, anticipate how the viewer will react. Yeah, don't really know what that means. Let me know when you find out. (laughs) (laughs) I think it has something to do with will they share it or not? I think that's what it relates to. I think I was thinking of ways where even in the construction of a video, you know, if someone clicks on like a home makeover video, there's certain conventions that they might be aware of. So you can play with those where you can build on certain expectations and then like subvert and disrupt other expectations to keep them surprised, keep them delighted. Mm, That's good. Okay. Tip number four, test and iterate. This is very core to our philosophy. We think of every video as a test and then we look at the analytics. We try and gain learnings from it, whether it's a style test or a, a content test, a casting test. Everything we do, we try and learn something and then do more of the stuff that's working and do less of the stuff that's not. Mm. What kind of things do you A-B test? This is going a little deeper on, on the question. Do you A-B test your thumbnails and, and titles? Like, what do you A-B test? Yeah, we really only have the ability to A-B test titles and thumbnails. I know that, uh, some, like, Zach launched a, a tea company recently, and he was doing some A-B testing of Google ads and Instagram ads. But mostly we, we have two different thumbnails, and we'll kind of play them off against each other and same with titles. You know, you don't want to like mess with it too much because if somebody clicks on something that's like, 
try guys try ballet and then they get there and the title is like zach sprained his ankle ouch whoops (laughs) like just too different it's confusing then yeah yeah okay uh tip number five find your foundational formats yeah so as much as trying different things and like different types of content showcasing different identities is important there's also an important element to different you know any channel you have to have consistency so we try and have that core format of you know it's the four of us trying something new learning from an expert we try not to deviate too far from that because we found that when we're having periods of time where we're throwing so many different things at the audience and whether it's like just solo shows or things where it's we're not really trying something but maybe we're just like playing a game if you go a little too wide with your format you start to lose tune in because some people are really excited about one thing some people are really excited about the other thing but on the whole you won't get as much excitement for your content and your channel and then things will kind of start to suffer so that's actually something that I think that people can take away is like what what is kind of a, a core element of what I make and how can I always be true to that? And it's not to say that you can't do other things, but they should, in their best form, they should come via a different vertical. That's why for the Baby Steps podcast, we're launching that on a completely new channel, right? It's going to feel very different and very unique because I think that will attract Dry Guys fans, but we also attract might attract some unique fans. Yeah, cool. Okay, so the last tip I'm going to go have you go through is uh, show human error to make your content more relatable. That's a very robotic way of saying, saying that. <laughs> that's authentic. true, though. That's true. Yeah, that's, that's, very, uh, that's a very inauthentic way of saying be authentic. <laughs> <laughs> but it is true. I... I went to an Ivy League school. I, just, I happen to be wearing a, a Yale t-shirt. Yeah, very you got repping Yale. But I'm very smart and good at things. But that makes me understand that when I'm on camera, oftentimes not being good at things is better for the video. You know what I'm saying? Like, even if I know the answer to something, saying the wrong answer is better for the content because it lets the expert look good and it lets you kind of be a conduit for the viewer for them learning something half the time i really don't know and i am a wild person that likes making bad decisions but part of that is (laughs) specifically doing that for the content to be better and letting my kind of like theory uh, brain with all the stuff we're talking about just be for guest interviews on podcasts where we talk about like very important stuff like profiting uh <laughs> and, yeah it's probably the you know, nerdiest when, show you've ever you'd be like this girl is such a nerd this is the nerdiest show i've ever been no, on <laughs> it's, it's all good but i do i really only get invited to the nerdy show so <laughs> thank you very much for having me <laughs> okay i have a new youtube coach um i'm actually okay. really starting to try to blow up young and profiting on youtube we're, we're big on apple we're big on Castbox. we're a baby on YouTube. We're nothing compared to you guys. So I have a few questions. In terms of your thumbnail, what is your advice for thumbnails? I know like YouTube face is really important. Tell us what YouTube face is in terms of like having your mouth open, your eyes. Yeah, there you go. If you guys are watching on video, you could see his YouTube face there. (laughs) Tell us about thumbnails because my coach told me the thumbnail is more important than your video. (laughs) In some ways, that's true. Uh, Biggest things on YouTube, and this has been documented other places. Uh, check out Matt Pat's channels like YouTube Theory. Uh, there's, you know, you want to have a high click through rate and you want to have good audience retention. So that means that people click on the video, they're interested in it, and they stick around to watch it. So you have to create an engaging premise and then deliver on that premise, ideally, you know, towards the end of the video. YouTube faces just means like people react and engage with faces more than they do not, right? So having an expressive face that delivers intrigue and suspense. I think uh, I, one of my favorite thumbnails, it's like everything Dude Perfect does is great, but like there's, they often will, if you don't know them, they're a, a trick shot 
channel, a quintet. But it's a guy throwing a paper towel uh, roll, and it's like mid-shot, and there's a paper towel holder there. And so you, you immediately feel that sense of suspense and like unfulfilled potential of, oh, is this going to hit the paper towel holder and be successful? Finding way, that would be way, way more, that's a way better thumbnail, right, than someone just like holding a paper towel and then text being like, paper towel trick shot? Like, that's a fine thumbnail, right? But if you can really give a visceral sense of an unfulfilled potential, that is, it's a much better thumbnail. Yeah. And so, like I mentioned, I had another really big YouTuber on the show, Evan Carmichael. And he told me that the length of your video performs best at 10 minutes long. Have you found the same thing or or do you have another recommendation in terms of video length? Honestly, it's different based on on your audience. It it is a little bit endemic to the platform. Uh, Like I think people tend to watch longer on YouTube than Facebook, for example. But if your audience is used to 25-minute videos, probably a 10-minute video will feel short to them. But if your your audience is used to 90-second videos, a 10-minute video might feel long to them. But it's it's optimizing for audience retention and watch time means that your videos should be the length that they need to be to retain the most amount of people. So... For most videos on the platform, that's like 10 to 15 minutes. But our most popular yeah. series is 35 minutes long because it feels like that's a so interesting. TV show and there's stakes and suspense and you really want to find out what happens at the end and you need the full half hour to develop all the storylines. It's a, a cooking show called Without a Recipe. It feels like a TV show. For a podcast, I know that people... Since they're so long, it's less common on YouTube. So I think typically what people do is they'll have the long-form podcast channel, but then they'll also publish like top clips. Another channel, yeah. Know, or, or highlights, either on another channel or within the, the same feed. Yeah, I heard the dual channel strategy is is a good one. Cool. And then my last question before we close out is, I know the intro of your video is really important. So do you have any philosophy in terms of how you intro your videos? Yeah. And this is this has kind of changed over time. I think we often started with like a non sequitur joke that was really funny. And that I think works for your existing fans because they'll think, oh, how funny. But for new fans that are clicking on it, or for people that maybe don't know your content as well, you really want to be delivering on the value proposition of the title and thumbnail immediately. Like, what did I just click on, and why is it going to be worth watching and exciting for me? I think uh, Mr. Beast does a really great job of this, where sometimes literally the beginning of the video, if the title is last to leave $800,000 island keeps it, the first five seconds of the video is kind of, and expanding on that premise of like, I bought an $800,000 island and my 10 friends are going to stay here and the last person here is going to win it. Like, that's just this title, but in two sentences. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like delivering on what you got them to click on in the first place is really important in the first like 10, 20 seconds. Yeah. And having some of your most visually interesting shots right in the very first three seconds that you know because mm. people there's there's so many different things you can do spending your time and if you're here listening thanks for spending your time with us uh, <laughs> but you, you know you may you're probably listening to this while you're doing something different maybe you're watching something different while you're listening to this <laughs> like there are so many different ways that we spend our time and our attention and some people might watch the first couple seconds of a youtube video like from instagram Others might uh, click on it, but then you constantly have other thumbnails and things that are beckoning your attention. So you really got to, if you are trying to convince someone that your content is worth watching, you better make it as worth watching and as worthwhile as fast as you can. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Now, the last question I ask all my guests who come on the show is, what is your secret to profiting in life? secret to profiting in life, I think, is to surround yourself with with loved ones. The times when I've been the most happy is when I have been working with people that I like and have been 
you know, when your, your work life and your, your home life, your family life is working in harmony, you're going to be that much more inspired to be your best self in all aspects. Yeah. I think that, yeah, don't, don't get, don't go at it alone. Would be, yeah, I love that. That's beautiful. And where can our listeners go to find more about you and everything that you do? Yeah, so you can check out our new podcast, Baby Steps. You can search for it on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts, as well as youtube.com slash baby steps to join our YouTube community. And Try Guys, uh, you can check us out on tryguys.com or search for Try Guys on YouTube, youtube.com slash try guys at Ned Fulmer with an M. <laughs> I've never done that before. That that's that's funny. Uh, but yeah, thanks for thanks for listening and Thanks for letting me get nerdy with you for an hour. Thank you, Ned. I appreciate it. I think our listeners are going to love all these YouTube tips and your awesome come up stories. So thank you for sharing with us. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to Young and Profiting Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or comment on YouTube, SoundCloud, or your favorite platform. Reviews make all the hard work worth it. They're the ultimate thank you to me and the Yap team. The other way to support us is by word of mouth. Share this podcast with a friend or family member who may find it valuable. Follow Yap on Instagram at Young and Profiting and check us out at youngandprofiting.com. You can find me on Instagram at yapwithhala or LinkedIn. Just search for my name, Hala Taha. Until next time, this is Hala signing off.